AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldus.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Hello and welcome to another cybersecurity episode of the AI in Action podcast. I am your host, John Petherbridge. Today's guest is Malik Remen. He is the Chief Information Security Officer for a leading global online food ordering and delivery business. In this episode, Malik gives a unique insight into how such industries have thrived throughout the recent pandemic. Well, uh, thanks, John, for having me today. I, I, I do have like... 16 or 17 years of experience like I'm doing. I'm in a cybersecurity information security business. Uh, but I started my journey with an IT in those days when you know, IT was actually running the security function and security has to be under IT and the businesses they used to think that the security is an IT problem. Uh, the things have changed now and uh, that has actually, that led me from those days that built a passion in me that why security is actually security is everyone's responsibility. So why it's always been considered uh, uh, the IT problem. So that actually led me to go for the certifications, trainings, and look deep, uh, deep, deeply into the security and start working on the algorithms and the security uh, products. And that actually was the start of the journey when I actually moved to the security and uh, later in 2010, 2011, that was a time when everyone has recognized security as an industry and built the framework specifically stating that the security should not be reporting to the IT. And they're in, like even in the, in the Gulf states and the Middle East and many APEC region where I have worked, uh, you can find that the security, it's, it's really a regulation that the security should be a specific and a separate department out of IT function itself. So there is no biased opinion. And that actually brought me security. And now I'm here working in a security for 16 years now. Yeah, it, 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 is, um, it is quite clear the, the transition from, well, in a lot of industries, it still hasn't fully transitioned, but from, from an IT issue to a business issue, uh, that, that security is now. Um, that's super interesting to kind of to hear where you've come from with that. Um, so a lot of your experience has been based in the Middle East, but you've also worked, worked across Europe and, and, and other countries. Um, have you noticed much differences in practices um, and I guess approach to cybersecurity in general from, from the last kind of amount of years you've had doing this? Uh, yes, uh, actually, different regions have their dif- different uh, problems, and the threat landscape is completely different from one another. And on top of that, how they deal with the situation is completely different. Because uh, let's say, uh, from my background, I have worked in the GCC region, uh, Middle East, uh, Epic region, Australia, and uh, uh, the US. So, what happens is that h- how the different landscape is moving. Like, let's say uh, the, the Middle East market is more prone to the uh, ransomware attack because they believe that these people are, they don't have backup strategies or they don't have business continuity strategies. Uh, so they will be willing to pay 
uh, yeah. for the for the amount like if they are being attacked ransomware there was a the, the, there was the day that uh, a dangerous uh, attack ransomware WannaCry ransomware was hit by on the market of uh, uh, Middle East now if we go to the other regions they have completely different they have a phishing and marketing scams more than just because they know they do have governance uh, uh, strong governance but not strong technical controls so what they do is they attack that market with a phishing campaigns where they, if the spear phishing happens they send a user an email and that's been directed to the uh, to the external a phishing website and then they try to uh, uh, do the attacks there uh, the practices obviously uh, how it differs is that how actually they treat it so everyone is working like now the Middle East is working mostly on the governance part now recently we have so many regulations coming in the market like and that there is uh, two years ago there was a recent uh, uh, NCA a National Cybersecurity Authority was established just to issue the frameworks and the best practices for the cybersecurity in the region so you can understand that how much strict governance they are planning because they have seen that they they lack the governance and in the uh, west side like uh, APEC and Europe region they are moving to the managed service uh, companies like they are focusing on uh, how they want to move actually their risk or they want to transfer their risk instead of having a capex model they want to move to an opex model just giving all their infrastructure to be a managed service infrastructure and then they already had the good governance practices so they can have the best of both worlds that's really interesting that the the, diff, the attacks differ and vary vary to region i was never aware of that so so the difference between <laughs> the, the ransomware and then the phishing and the, the different campaigns across different regions um yeah that's that's that, that's crazy and i guess like being a kind of like a CISO like yourself or a, a senior security um, professional, um, do you feel that you have to kind of split yourself into a few different pieces to kind of, to, if you're overlooking a few different regions, to ensure that you're approaching each country with the kind of the correct mindset that is specific to that country? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, the, this, the, this is the biggest uh, challenge that uh, we are facing nowadays is because we build our uh, frameworks on ba basis of uh, ISO 27001 NIST cybersecurity framework, a Basel or something. The banking have very stringent PCI framework. We have very strict uh, frameworks that we just have to comply as a checklist. The challenge comes here is that you cannot have a silver bullet. You cannot have the same policy or the same framework in a different country but while they have their complete different challenges so the framework should be flexible and the security practices and controls should be actually tailored according to the threat landscape of that specific industry so this is actually we uh, I'm working nowadays to uh, uh, do customize that kind of frameworks because we already have any frameworks which are like it, it's really difficult to have the big repository of so many frameworks and then you have so many overhead of compliance checks and governance checks so the, your model should be uh, uh, flexible or easy in a way that you can apply that in any specific region and we are actually working on this and we have been very successful recently uh, building that such kind of a framework that all the regions they can use and still they don't have uh, issues and they have flexibility of running their business yeah that's, that's a really good concept and then um, from a, a research a research standpoint is that just something that you would 
reach out to the different parts within the business or um how how what sort of community have you kind of extracted all that information from and like how have you gone about putting all that information together to have this kind of well nearly nearly a silver bullet oh yeah well yes actually uh, as you know that i'm uh, doing my research now and that's that's the the phd degree so uh, i'm doing a research based degree and i do ha i've learned a ma many different methods of doing the research and uh, there's all, all, always uh, quantification methods and and uh, qualitative methods of research and i i have learned a lot on how to do this research the survey helps a lot uh, the interviewing people helps a lot and definitely working closely with industry peers helps you a lot to to identify that what challenges they are facing and how we can help them because always we as security people uh, I have seen that they perceive us to be business stoppers while we are enablers and just it's an easy thing that we have to deliver that message to them that how we can really enable your business uh, instead of disabling it and sooner or later they will open up uh, about their problems and then that's the point where you, you have all the required data to work on and to help them actually build a specific set of controls for them. That's really interesting. How's the PhD going? Is there a lot of work on the <laughs> A lot of work. It's actually, uh, uh, in the beginning, it looked easy that you will have a lot of uh, time. That's a research base and you have to do things part-time, but actually as more as you go into the research, uh, it's, 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 that's, that's a thing I would like the uh, 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 early and the, I would say the intermediate or the early security experts to know that uh, it's not an easy deal while while you are when you are doing the doctorate or you're doing the PhD the doctorate is purely a work base you can apply the existing knowledge what you have industry while you are growing so you can take the doctorate and that's not that challenging when it comes to uh, uh, the, uh, applying the existing knowledge you have. But let's say if you have to invent something new and then you have to build something new that can help the industry solve their problems, here comes the challenging part. You have invested really a lot of time doing a separate research other than your normal working hours and normal working days and the normal working practices. So that it's it, it's challenging. At the same time, it's 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 interesting that you learn many new things. Yeah, so fair play to you. Um, yeah, taking it on and you're in your career as well. It's a it's it's a lot to it's a lot to work, it's a lot to work on, and a lot of different ways to kind of to, to split yourself. But um, no, it's fair play to you. Um, I know in your current role, yeah. you you're you are you are running the cybersecurity for a for a, a globally successful uh, delivery business and obviously where uh, this call is being recorded in the in a COVID-19 lockdown sort of period um, I'd be really interested to get an insight into how you see the, the evolution of the delivery industry um, because everybody is now living at home or working from home um, there's a lot more restrictions for some people but has that benefit the delivery industry or or hindered it or if you want to maybe just shed a bit of light on that that'd be super interesting uh, well there's a thing that you have heard that somebody's trash is others treasure so now in the covid situation this industry is booming because people are not going out of the uh, uh they're out of their homes and they are stuck to certain uh, limits and they, they can move their lim their movements is, is limited so 
uh, now here our part comes that we have actually different vectors of the business uh, we we do have uh, the businesses where we have dark stores like the grocery stores and at the same time we have restaurants so we deliver many uh, things now now we actually have ex expanded our business previously we were just doing delivering the uh, foods to the doorstep and which was easy because if you talk about the, the again the, the, the difference between the region if you uh, if you do the evaluation if you do take the statistics uh, the european market they would uh, like let's say 40 to 50 percent of the people their opinion is to order something at home because they're finding a reason to go outside they have a beautiful weather and a situation is different there and they're trying to to find a way to socialize but now in the middle east the weather is so hot that they are not even to go outside they won't want to do most of the things and most of the gathering in their home so they prefer the things at doorstep so uh, actually the transformation did not change much uh, after COVID because the people in the Middle East, they were already doing many things from, the, from home, like they were doing the socialization parties and gatherings, everything at home. But what happened was that the, the business of the groceries, that has also moved to the delivery business. Like previously, the people can go outside, they can go to the store, they can just go for a shopping, they can do the groceries and everything. Now they cannot do. So they're moving to the, uh, the, uh, the groceries deliveries at home. And this has helped us expand the business, a new vector in the business, uh, where what we can do is we can take those groceries. We have the dark stores. We just take the, save that, that groceries and we can deliver the order. And actually, it's very uh, uh, profitable business. At the same time, this transformation uh, brings many challenges, challenges from perspective of logistics, challenges from perspective of operation and the security and IT because you have so many new issues coming up. The, the number of people that are utilizing your app because you have transferred from the website to a complete mobile app and you're providing users completely different channel of payments and utilization of the application. So there are so many users. You are over, overloaded sometimes. You really need to make sure that you meet the uh, SLAs of the availability and you have high systems to uh, to run at every single time high storages high processing powers so there are many challenges in this industry while there is so many burden uh, uh, on, on on the apps by the users delivering the things to the home that's super interesting like to think of obviously the logistics part is huge so how are you going to have the people to deliver everything that you need delivered um, and then, yeah, you obviously, so you guys probably you've launched an app or you've upgraded your app to, to be a bit more all-encompassing. Um, how long did it take from, I guess, the, the initial kind of onset of um, lockdown or, um, yeah, to, or, or announcements that things are going to change and things are going to be more restricted? How long did it take from that point to, to where you guys were now really able to... Um, to manage the, the new sort of uh, the new volume of work that you guys are taking on? Well, yes, there is a drastic uh, uh, change in the numbers uh, well, because uh, as the news comes uh, that there is a lockdown, there, there's a full dog lockdown or there's a partial lockdown or is, it's an easy lockdown, the perspective of the people changes and the numbers of, of, of the profitability it's also changes. 
like how much people ordered previously and how much they do after the lockdown is 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 huge. How much do you think will change now? Should we go back to like normal in inverted commas? Um, do you think that off the back the, the convenience of of how much can we actually deliver it to you will enable people to to think? Oh wait a second, I'll just I'll continue to get stuff delivered to me and only go out and pick things up when I have to. Like, do you believe that? The, the positive impact on the delivery industry will continue or what what do you see happening in the future well what i see is that uh, first of all the uncertainty of how things going to work like some if you know if you have seen the exports they are actually predicting the things to remain same till end of this year and somebody's saying that maybe it will move on to the next year so the uncertainty is there and secondly the comfort the users the people they are they, they are in their comfort zone while they're receiving everything on the doorstep. So I believe if things are even open up, there is a huge scope of this business in the market and we need more drivers, we need more businesses, we need more people just to, to, uh, to uh, mitigate or to bridge that gap specifically. Uh, because the people are mostly there there were a number of uh, population that they never knew about this kind of a business and delivery and they were always going to to the restaurants and hotels and they were ordering and they they're they spending their uh, precious time uh, uh, on the roads while traveling and in the traffic they're stuck in the traffic so they have learned this that they can be at home in the COVID situation and they can order. So they have learned also. So we have seen a drastic increase in the numbers. So I don't think so it will be easy for the people to just roll back and fall back to the previous method of just spending 10 hours in the traffic and to reach somewhere. They will prefer to do the basic groceries through online delivery and the foods online delivery and rest of the important things which they have to do if they need, they definitely go out. Yeah, I think, you know, all we can do is kind of speculate because there is so much uncertainty, but obviously you, you are speaking from, from a, a, an area of, of, of huge uh, experience and knowledge, so that's really good to know. Um, and I, I think just from a, a, a CISO perspective or a Chief Security Officer perspective, what challenges do you think um, CISOs around the world are facing most at the moment uh, in relation to the crisis? Well, the first challenge that everyone, uh, anyone in the technology business, because you know the CISOs, they are also working in, 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 in the middle. They, they are working in the enterprise risk area and also in the technology uh, yeah. domain. So that's the, that's, the, that's the difficult part here. Now, the CISOs, they are suffering from two different things. One is the technology that they have to make sure the technology is secure, which is actually provided. That's the underlying platform for running that a specific application that is secure. And uh, the second thing is that the enterprises, they are actually getting the value out of it. So they have to play, uh, 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 they have to wear two hats. Now, the challenges for the CISOs is that once they cannot be on site, so they have to do the job, they have to communicate, they, communicate, they have to communicate with different people. And since there is a new concept of VCISO, so people are actually considering the people, the organization, they have never considered the virtual CISO concept and they never actually wanted a CISO and they said, no, we can outsource all the uh, business to the managed security businesses and we are easy to 
to, to go like this way and we don't have to do a lot of effort, they are also thinking to have the VCs or at least to look after the things and bridge the gap between their enterprise risk and the technology. That's really interesting. Have you seen much of the VCs though? Um, have you seen that come to market at all or is that, is that a concept that you're, you're, um, you're interested in? Uh, well, no, the VCs, it's, it's a virtual CISO. What happens yeah. is that they don't, they don't hire them on the permanent payroll. One virtual CISO is working for many different organizations at the same time. They, sometimes he's working for two different organizations, providing them the overview because it's been turning to, to be like the CISO is more of a governance uh, a, a role and, and, and a risk role rather than just a compliance and a technology role. Yeah, I think that's a really good, really good, um, really strong concept as well. Because not a lot of places could afford to take on a CISO full time either, nor would they need a CISO full time. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of offers the the expertise and probably matches on a cost point as well. But also, yeah, it 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 does provide someone to share that, um, that that oversight and kind of map out the the uh, the threat landscape as well and, and show them what to avoid yeah that that's interesting i think a lot more things will become will start to have uh v before them um a lot more roles especially off the back of uh back of this and how successful a lot of places have been but all sorts of uh remote working and remote onboarding so that's that's quite interesting um sure. and i yeah i guess just just to kind of close close off this this chat um if you were to i suppose yeah if if, if you're to uh have one thing that you could say um, that you want to be remembered by from a, a perspective in cybersecurity and the impact you had on the market? Because it's quite clear you're, you're very passionate about cybersecurity and you're, you're studying now for your PhD. What would be the kind of one thing you'd like to positively impact the cybersecurity community with? Well, uh, the, the one thing I would say is the awareness that I would like to spread as much awareness as I can and be uh, at least. Uh, delivering the concept of the CISO that the security is a business enabler and they always want to work in a very flexible manner and their their mission is really very much aligned and with the with the businesses itself and the security itself is a new industry that has been getting a lot of recognition so I, I would uh, uh, definitely let, uh, like to leave the impact on the uh, younger generation to at least know that there is a lot of potential in this business and uh, pursuing this is, is, is definitely very rewarding from the perspective of financial uh, uh, perspective and definitely from the career perspective and having their story written and give, having a big impact and adding a value for the organizations. Thank you so much for your time, Malik. Um, and um, yeah, look, I, I hope we can catch up again. And um, yeah, look, I appreciate your time. You're, you're clearly very busy. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you, John, for having me today. And it was really uh, interesting discussion. And uh, would, uh, actually, I have learned a lot from you. And definitely anyone will be hearing this will, will have so many questions in their mind cleared already. And uh, thank you. Thank you for having me today. AI in Action is brought to you by Aldus International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Aldus offer an exec search program. Aldus can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. Get the Aldus advantage. Become a member of the Aldus community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. 
Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to all us members. And don't forget our AI in Action podcast. Each week, we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career, and more. Become an Aldus member and get the Aldus advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldus.com. That's www.aldus.com. Aldus International, empowering through AI.